welcome you this morning to the Lord's house today. Glad to see you here this morning. Well, if you were living in Buffalo today, it would be a different story. Uh, Brother Phil Owen, he pastor in uh, Berean Free Presbyterian Church, sent me a picture of looking out his front door. And uh, six feet of snow fell in Buffalo. In fact, a bit more than that, I think. And that's not even the drifting. I think that could possibly be a record uh, for them. And so I texted Phil back and I said, we don't even have a snowflake here hardly. And uh, we're not that many miles away. But the lake effect, as the wind blows from the north down to the south, it drops the snow down there. And many people would say, we're happy to have it drop down there and keep it away from up here as much as possible. Nonetheless, we rejoice in the goodness of the Lord and for your ability to be here in the house of God today. We're going to sing Psalm 98 to begin our worship, and the opening line says, Sing a new song to Jehovah. And the reason why we can sing a new song is because that song has been put within our hearts, the song of redemption, the song of the redeemed, the song that we can sing to give praise to our great God and King, because we are alive from the dead our sins have been forgiven, and we are going home to glory soon to be with our Lord forever and forever. We have a bright future, and we have every reason to worship our God. For He wondrous things has wrought, His right hand and His arm most holy, victory to Him has brought. Lo, the Lord, His great salvation, openly hath now made known. In the sight of every nation, he his righteousness has shown. Let's stand, please, as we worship today.
let's still our hearts before the Lord now and just settle our minds and pray that He will meet with us now in our worship service and He will open our hearts to His way and His Word and that we will enjoy the fellowship of one another in the gospel today. Our loving God, with joy and thanksgiving, we enter into Thy holy presence this morning. And with this psalm and these words upon our hearts, we come to sing, Father, a new song, the song of the redeemed. At one time, Lord, the song of the world was in our heart, the song of the drunkard, the song of the immoral. But now today, Father, our sins have been forgiven, and we have been washed and cleansed in the precious blood of our Redeemer. And we have now a sure and everlasting footing for our standing is in Christ and in glory. And we are, we are at home, Lord, in the house of God with Your people, with the privilege we have gathering for worship of the name, the person of our God. And Lord, our hearts are thankful today for such sovereign grace, for such everlasting mercy and love. Lord, we are not worthy of the least of Your blessings, but we have received the very greatest. O oh God, so great salvation. How can we enter in to define it? How can we possibly comprehend the magnitude of its value and its worth? Lord, I pray today that every one here truly born of the Spirit of God, that each one of us would enter in with joy and with thanksgiving, and we would come, Lord, to lift our hearts and our praise heavenward. I thank the Lord for the blessings of this past week, for mercies that we have seen and experienced, and those things that we have not seen, but still we have experienced. And it's all part of Your loving kindness and care to us. And Father, teach us what it means to know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Pour out Your Spirit upon us today. Lord, we need strength. We need insight. We need, Lord, blessings to help us understand and apply the truth to our heart. Thankful for those who have experienced a touch of your hand in answered prayer. Thankful our brother Ron is here with us today in the service. And Lord, we pray your continued hand of mercy and blessing to be upon him. We ask again for our sister Serene. We pray for Joan. We ask, O oh Lord, for Reverend Bodner. 
And we certainly pray for our brother Cranston that, Lord, all of these people would know the hand of the Lord God upon them, health restored. Lord, we pray that in the midst of their difficulty, they will not be discouraged and cast down, but rather their eyes would be turned heavenward, turned to Christ, turned to look full in His wonderful face. Dear Lord, give help, we pray. Bless our congregation and every family. Do not let anyone be on the outskirts of blessing. No, Lord, we ask for household salvation and household blessing, the Holy Spirit to come with power and direction and help for every single need. Supply the financial needs, Lord, of every household. Some, perhaps, are looking for employment, having that need to be filled. Lord, supply the need. I pray that we will all walk by faith and not by our sight. Remember, Father, our missionaries, other churches that don't have ministers at this time. Lord, be very near to all of our fellow churches. Dear Father, I pray today that we will rejoice and know the presence of the Holy Spirit with us in our services today. Thankful for the Sunday school, for the boys and girls already, and for the young adult Bible class and the senior Bible class. And Father, I pray that all the words spoken would have an impact on every heart. Hear our prayers now. Continue with us, we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Let's sing, please, again to the Lord's praise now, number 306, and we will stand to sing Abundant Life.
Let's turn, please, in our Bibles for our congregational reading this morning, the book of Hebrews, chapter 2. Book of Hebrews, chapter 2, the first ten verses. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard Him. God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost, according to His own will. For unto the angels hath He not put in subjection the world to come, whereof we speak. But one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels, thou crownest him with glory and honor, and did set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man For it became him for whom are all things, by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. The word we have read today, once again, will apply and have. Uh, association with the message that I want to share with you today from John chapter 17. So again, a warm word of welcome to you all in the Lord's house today. If you're with us visiting for the first time, maybe you've come back, we want you to know you're very, very welcome, especially those folks viewing our service online today. We know we have some folks from overseas in Northern Ireland and uh, Mrs. McClellan's brother, Billy Cleland, I believe, brother, you're joining us today online, so we want to know you're very, very welcome. We trust the Lord would bless the Word and your fellowship with us today, even though removed by a distance. And we know that there are others local and from other places who are joined with us today. So we're very happy about that. Very, very happy that our sister Eunice and brother Zijin are in the service today. And we give them a special word of welcome today. 
because I learned last night of a very important announcement that has to be made and that yesterday they both were engaged to each other to be married. And so that is a very happy announcement that I have to make. And we pray for both of you and ask the Lord's blessing, His kind hand on you, and that He will be a blessing in all the arrangements and details that will come into place. So I'm sure that everyone will want to congratulate the couple, and the ladies will especially want to see if there's anything special glowing on her left hand and uh, be uh, interested in that. Let me recommend to you in your reading the uh, bits and pieces that Dr. McClellan puts out every week. This week is the 141st edition, and I think you'll find some very encouraging articles and things to read there, newsy items. So don't miss out. You receive those. If you get our church email, you will be receiving those. And by the way, if you have come recently to the church and you would like to get on our email list for announcements and church bulletins, then you could see our brother Jonathan McAnally, or you could send a note to uh, office at torontofpc.ca, and uh, we will forward that email to you. Please remember the folks we have in prayer. One of the things that Dr. McClellan mentioned in the Bits and Pieces article today was specifically four people we've been praying for, targeting in on. Reverend Cranston, who has been not well. He's again not preaching today. Reverend Ian Golliher is in Port Hope today. Uh, Brother Cranston has been sick for, well, over a month now, and he has had pneumonia. He's on antibiotics for that and he's still very, very weak and not eating well. And if you know Mr. Cranston, he's oh, very thin as it is and cannot afford to lose any more weight. And so do pre please pray for our brother. Mr. Bodner, Reverend Bodner, is still in the hospital, but is making some small improvement and hopes to be moving into a nursing care home soon and will be getting back on track by the Lord's grace, we hope and pray. And then, of course remembering our sister Serene and our brother Ron in your prayers continually. And don't forget Joan McCurcher. By the way, on that email list, Jonathan McAnally has put on there regularly special prayer requests and those seniors and others who are needing in a long-term sense of our prayers, and that's good to be reminded of those things. Today our prayer time at 5.50 before the evening service and our evening service at 6.30. And do come back and join with us. I want to conclude the historical section of the book of Daniel tonight, which ends at chapter 6. And uh, I trust the Lord will bless our meditation tonight as we consider these final events in the life of Daniel in the historical part. Wednesday evening this week, our Bible study and prayer time continues at 7.30 and uh, also the Jim Fellowship on Friday night at from 6 to 9. Don't forget to make your changes for your address or your contact info. We've received quite a few of those already, and that's good. But uh, anybody else who would like to be on our church directory, if you're part of our fellowship here, we would love to see your name and your contact info there. So again, you could send that uh, to the office at torontofpc.ca and we'll be sure that, that it gets included on there. Also, uh, an advance notice regarding the Lord's Day. 
of Christmas Sunday. That's going to fall this year on December the 25th. And then, of course, New Year's Day will be the following Lord's Day, January the 1st. We're going to be having an international lunch on that day, God willing, that Christmas Day, if we don't have a snowfall that keeps us away from church. Uh, but that's something a little bit of an advance notice. We know it's Christmas Day, and a lot of people would spend time with the family, but we hope you'll be able to spend time, first of all, with your church family, and then uh, we have an afternoon praise service immediately following that service, that uh, international lunch on Christmas Sunday, and then there will be no service in the evening time of that day. So, advance announcements for you as you'll be making your plans. Let's sing again to the Lord's praise, number 290, 290, and we will stand again to sing, O people selected by sovereign love. Let's praise God with this hymn. turn now in your Bibles to John chapter 17. <clears throat> Reading the first three verses. John 17. These words spake Jesus, and lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, 
Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. We'll bow, please, for prayer. Father, we come today to seek for help from the Spirit of God to still our minds, open our hearts, give clarity and understanding. And Lord, do not allow the devil to take away the seed of the Word from any heart. We pray that as believers we will be strengthened with might in the inner man and that any soul without Christ today would come to trust in Him, to know the joy of sins forgiven, to know what it means to have eternal life. Hear my prayer. Give help today in the speaking and preaching of the Word. We ask for Jesus' sake. Amen. I think we have become accustomed to think of the Lord's Prayer as the one that begins, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. But more accurately, the prayer of Jesus to his Father before us in John 17 could rightly be called the Lord's Prayer. It is the high priestly prayer of our Savior as He was anticipating the cross just hours away where He would die as our great high priest to make atonement for our sins and to open the way for heaven. Last Lord's Day morning, I commented to you that we are standing on holy ground as we consider this prayer and these words, and we all have to conclude. They are too high for us. They are too wide for us to fathom the import and the complete value of them. We simply bow in wonder as the Son expresses to His Father matters, and know this, Matters that were forged in eternity, and now they are brought to the light of time. Yes, the Holy Spirit has recorded this for our learning, and therefore, as we investigate, we do so very conscious of our need, of our need of divine light, the need of help to understand the meaning and to apply the truth to our hearts. 
the foundation message of this prayer is the glory of the Godhead through the plan of redeeming sinful man by overcoming death with not just physical life, but with eternal life. Saving a corrupted and rebellious humanity was, it was in the mind and in the heart of God from before a man had ever sinned, before man was ever created. But how do we understand this? How can we explain this apart from submitting ourselves to a sovereign God and a sovereign and eternal decree and plan? And I want us today to consider verses 2 and 3 of this prayer with this subject, this is life eternal. And I pray that each of us, everyone here listening online, if you know Christ, if you have been born again of the Spirit of God, that we will all stand in awe again and marvel at so great salvation that we have been given. And never let us take it as commonplace. Never let us consider for a moment that, oh, this is just This is just something that we have taken, something that we have believed in. No, friends, but to to comprehend the depth and the height of so great salvation. And friend, if you are here today and you don't know the Lord, if you're watching online and you're not a believer, my prayer is that you would look at this subject and realize That eternal life is offered to you. Eternal life is presented to you from God as a gift to be received. I pray that today we will come to understand something of the weight and the depth of this prayer. So how is eternal life to be understood as it is given to us in these texts? Well, I say to you in the first place, it is defined as knowing the Father and the Son. Verse 3 says, This is eternal life, that they might know Thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom Thou hast sent. Our Lord is praying in the third person in that verse. He is praying to His Father and He is saying that I want that people will come to know who My Father is. And this is the whole purpose and plan that God's name would be glorified. The Trinity would be lifted up and magnified. And that will be done by people coming to know who God is. And people coming to understand who the Son of God really is. Now, if I was to ask you to define eternal life, you might say, well, it is to live forever. That would be a true definition. It would be to have your sins forgiven. It would be to never grow old and die. 
And these things are true. And they may be contained in this definition. But the Bible gives us something different. Something foundational. Something that is in the very first place. And it is this, my friends, that we will know God, who He is, and that we will know Jesus Christ, who and what He has done. Of all things that a person is able to know in this life, there is something that is of such great importance, of such supreme importance, it is that we come to mentally and spiritually understand the One who has created us, the One who sustains us, the One who has made revelation of Himself both in nature and in written form so that all men are without excuse. God made Himself known in nature and God has revealed Himself through His own holy and precious Word. The book of Proverbs chapter 2 says, My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thine heart to understanding, if thou criest after knowledge and lift up thy voice for understanding, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. This was the quest set before the wise man given for every single human being. It is a quest to know who God is. It's a quest to know the One who has made us and the One who has come to redeem us. In Proverbs 9 and verse 10, we are told that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Of course, the Holy One is the knowledge of God. And when we come to know who God is, we will have what is defined as understanding as God has termed it. Now, there is a, a rebuke that the prophet Hosea gave to the people of Israel in this form, he said, Hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel, for the Lord hath a controversy with man in his natural and sinful state. And he said that they did not have the knowledge of God. Now, what a, what a rebuke. These were the people of the Lord, the ones who identified themselves as followers of Jehovah, and yet God had to say to them, I have a controversy with you because there is no sense of truth in the land. There's no sense of righteousness. There is no knowledge of the God of heaven. Some people would say, well, I have an awareness of an intelligent designer or being in the universe, and they might look at the evidence and they might say, well, yes, I can see certain indications that something, somewhere, somehow, has brought all of the universe and earth into being. 
They will look at design in the universe and they'll say, well, someone, something, some power had to design this. They will look into the meticulous information in the DNA molecule. And they will say, how did that information get there? Somehow, someone had to put that in there. They look at the orderly information in a cell, in an atom, and they will conclude, it did not just happen. Someone had to put this there. And yet, my friend, as many people may have an idea of an intelligent designer, of an intelligent being, if they do not ever come to know that God as Jehovah the living and the true God, if they never come to know Jesus Christ as His only begotten Son, they will not have the true knowledge of God as Jesus is praying here in John 17. When Paul and Barnabas went to Antioch, they preached in the synagogue first, as they often did on their missionary journey, and they preached to the Jewish people there as long as they would receive the Word, but as soon as they would reject it, Paul and Barnabas would leave and they would go to the Gentiles. And this is what they said. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the Word of God should first have been spoken to you, but seeing ye put it from you, note this, and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. Lo, we turn to the Gentiles. Now, this is a clear case of religious people who had a knowledge on the surface, at least, of God, of a God of the Bible. But Paul said, when they were presented with the truth, with the knowledge of the living and true God and of Jesus Christ, the Messiah who had been sent, when they were confronted with that, they rejected that knowledge. And we're told here that they set themselves as unworthy of everlasting life. What does that mean? It means that they firmly rejected everlasting life. Now think about it for a moment. If you were to ask any one of those per people who said, we reject the Messiah, we reject Jesus, we have another way, and you say to them, well, don't you want eternal life? Of course we want eternal life. Would you not want to live forever? Of course we want to live forever. But Paul said, because they have rejected the true God and true knowledge, they have purposefully rejected everlasting life. But when, my friend, a person is convicted of their sin, when they have come face to face with the truth that unless they repent, they shall perish forever, and they turn to Christ and receive Him, then they know God. Then they have Christ as their personal Savior. Has that been your experience today, friend? I'm not talking about 
having a religious understanding. I'm not talking about being connected to a church, whether it's this church or any other one for that matter, because those things will not get you to heaven. Those things will not bring eternal life to your soul. There is only one thing, my friend, and that is if you know the living and the true God. And when that knowledge comes into your soul, you will have light and you will have life. You will have peace and stability. And once when you are overcome with guilt and fear, when Christ comes in, that guilt and fear goes out. Oh, and I know there will be developmental stages of that from when a person, pers- when a person first trusts in Christ and they receive the Savior. They, all things are new to them and they will grow in their knowledge They will grow in their understanding of Scripture. They will deepen and broaden their communion with God. Yes, all those things are true. But instantly, there is the knowledge of sins forgiven and of peace with God because they have come to the sweetness and the enlightenment and the empowering and the information that comes that is not natural to man, but it is now very real and very natural to those who have trusted in the Lord Jesus. Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 6. He said, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is life eternal. This, my friend, is what it means to know God. So what about you? Do you know Him today? Do you trust in Him? Do you love Him? Is He your Savior? I pray that you will call upon Him. Please notice the second thought that comes from this prayer today. Not only was eternal life defined as knowing the Father and the Son, it is derived by a covenant made between the Father and the Son. In verse 3, again it tells us that He, Christ, should give eternal life to as many as God has given to Him. That Jesus would give eternal life to as many as God has given Him. And I want you to focus in on that phrase, as many as God has given to Him. In theology, This term, or defining this statement, is called the covenant of grace because it is a promise that God the Father made to His Son from all eternity, that He would give to Him a people, a number out of of the human race 
as a reward of His suffering. And so the covenant of grace, it most definitely extends to all who will trust in the Lord Jesus, but it is based on the unchangeable Word of the Father to the Son. It was a promise that was made within the councils of the eternity. If you have been in this church for any period of time, you would know that I seldom use the terms Calvinism or Arminianism. I would rather speak of the the doctrines of grace and of the sovereignty of God in salvation. I know that there is some controversy over the whole subject of election and predestination and how far the will of man goes in salvation. And when I say some controversy, that's probably an understatement. There is a lot of controversy about that. But the Bible, I believe by conviction, teaches very clearly that God has chosen us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. And yet, we still have and enjoy gospel fellowship with those folks who don't see that view quite as we see it and understand it from the Bible. And that is, of course, because those who would be on the Arminian side or believing more in the free will of man in salvation, they still will attest and believe that we can only be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross for sinners. That we are saved by the grace of God. That once we are saved, we do not lose our salvation because we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. When I know there are varying degrees of how far people will take both Arminianism on its extreme and also Calvinism on its extreme to become what is defined as hyper-Calvinism, which we are not. I make that very clear. We believe very clearly in the free offer of the gospel of salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not going down into that subject too deeply today, but I would say that if anyone would like to talk about that, if you have any questions, if I can answer those questions and be of any help to you, I would love to spend any time with you that you require. Now, as we come back to the point here in our text, that eternal life, it's derived by a covenant that was made between the Father and the Son, that He should give eternal life to as many as Thou hast given Him. The use of these terms, all, in verse 3, and many, it shows a clear distinction. For as Christ has been given power over all humanity and all flesh, And how do we understand that? Well, we understand that word, all humanity, 
because Jesus Christ is the Creator. He is the Creator of all things. John tells us in John 1 that all things were made by Him and by Him all things consist. And we know also from other Scriptures that Jesus Christ is declared to be the Creator of all things. And so in that sense, He has power over all humanity. But that power is specifically extended to the, quote, many that God has given to His Son for salvation. Here the Holy Spirit, He qualifies the covenant of grace. For the Father did not give all and every single human being who has ever lived to Christ for inheritance. But He gave many. These terms are important to understand what is being prayed for here by our Lord Jesus. Now I want you to understand that to say that Christ died to make atonement for all the sins of every single human being that has ever lived, it would mean this. It would mean that every single human being that has ever lived would be saved. Now, we know that the Scripture makes it very clear that that is not the case because the Bible records many who are not going to be in heaven, many who are on the broad road that leads to destruction, many who are in an everlasting punishment even now. And so, my friends, as the Bible makes it clear that there is that distinction, if Christ paid for all the sins of all men that have ever lived, then necessarily all men would be saved. So how do we understand this? It means that Christ died for all the sins of the many that God gave to Him to die for. And that, my friend, speaks to us of the value of the atonement of Christ, of the merit of His atonement. Because I say this to you very respectfully today, that if Christ died for almost all of my sins, then He might as well have died for none of my sins. And I say that to you because if I have to atone for one of my sins when I come to stand before God in judgment, I will be condemned to hell. Why? Because I have no righteousness of my own. I have nothing that I can give to God to pay for my sin. And therefore, I depend completely upon the sufficiency and the fullness and all the merit that Jesus paid when He died on the cross to pay for my sin. But I say this to you, friends. If you believe that Jesus died for all the sins of all men in a general atonement, 
then you have a problem because it means that Jesus died for the sins of people who will be condemned to hell. And that means that there was a problem in the atonement of Christ. There was a limitation in the extent of its ability to save. Because I come back to this truth that if I have to pay for a sin that I have committed that Jesus did not pay for, then I am in eternal trouble and I would never be in glory. This is the teaching that the high priestly prayer of Jesus gives to us. And my dear friends, it fills our hearts with thanksgiving and praise and great wonder. In John 6, verse 37, Jesus said, All that the Father gives to me shall come to me, and him that comes to me I will in no wise cast out. And we have in that verse of Scripture the great combination of the sovereignty of God in salvation and also of the opportunity that is extended to mankind to call upon Him. And that verse of Scripture has been the great assurance to many, many hearts, my own included, for I remember the day that I called on the Lord as my Savior. I remember the day when I trusted in Him, but I also remember the day that I doubted my salvation after that and I did not have assurance. And then I came by God's grace to understand that Christ cannot lie. And if I have come to Him for salvation, He will not cast me away. And therefore, it all depends on Him and it does not depend upon me. This is sovereign grace. This is the great wonder of salvation. And this is the very prayer that Jesus prays. This is life eternal, that they might know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom Thou hast sent. I want you to think of the third thought today. Not only is it defined by knowing the Father and derived by a great covenant between the Father and the Son, but eternal life has been delivered to us by Christ. Delivered to sinners. And that means you and me today. Verse 2, it tells us, And thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life. Where does eternal life come from? It is the gift that Jesus gives to his people. The creator of all things, the one by whom all things are sustained in this world, in this life, by him all things consist. His power and authority, it reaches over all creation and especially relating to salvation and eternal life. John tells us in chapter 1 of this gospel that Jesus came to his own people and his own received him not. 
but as many as received Him. To them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. And that word power, in our translation, it means authority or ability. And so Jesus Christ, who is the giver of eternal life to His people, He gives us authority, power. He gives us the ability. Christ is called the Sent One. The very name Jesus is Savior, for He shall save His people from their sins. In the early New Testament church, Christians were under great threat of persecution continually, and they had a type of code word or symbol, and it was a fish. And the Greek word for fish is ichthus. And the early New Testament Christians took that word as an acrostic, and they put for each letter of the word ichthus, and it started off with Iesus, the name for Jesus, and Christos, Christ, and Theos, God, and Weos, Son, and then the final word or letter stood for Savior. So when you put that all together, it is Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. And I say to you that this is a theological compendium in a very short form. And the New Testament believer, they summarized what salvation and eternal life meant for them. And it was all founded in God the Father. It was founded in the sending of Jesus Christ, the Messiah that was to come. And He is God's only begotten Son, and He is our Savior. And He, my friends, is the one who gives to you and to me eternal life. And of course, the nature of a gift is that it's not paid for. Not by you, anyways. Someone had to pay for the gift that you are given. But if you pay for a gift, it no longer becomes a gift. It becomes a purchase. And therefore, as we look at the gift that Jesus gives to us, do we not conclude that the gift of eternal life is undeserved? It is a gift that we have received. Because, my friends, as Isaiah said, all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, filthy garments in the sight of God. And that is a very powerful word. It's a very descriptive word. When he said all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, the prophet is saying they are as menstruous clothing, cloths. And then you get a picture of what that means to present our good things before a holy God to try and atone for our sin. We have no righteousness. We are undeserving. 
and all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. Not only, friends, are we not worthy of the gift of salvation, but we are worthy of being cast into hell. That would be our just recompense. We are guilty in the sight of a holy God. We are naked and unclean and undone. But it goes on beyond that because we are therefore unmerited. We have, we have nothing to offer to God because of our depraved heart. There is nothing that would recommend us to God. And so when the Lord chose us in the councils of eternity, you might wonder, well, why did He choose some and not choose some others? And friend, that is a question we have no answer for. We do not know that apart from the fact that God set His sovereign love upon us when we merited nothing. We deserved hell, and yet He gave us life, an everlasting life. And did He love me because I'm a nicer guy than someone else? Did He see some spark of righteousness or truth in me? No, He did not. For I deserved hell as much as Cain. I deserved hell as much as Balaam. Ah, my friend, there is nothing good in us whereby we would be recommended to God. There is no merit or worth in us. But while we were yet in our blood, Christ saved us. While we were yet in our iniquity, He reached down to save us. But we have a final problem here, is that this eternal life that Christ gives to us, it's unpayable certainly by us. Our spiritual bank is empty. We, we are broke. The precious jewel of eternal life is so far beyond our ability to pay that if it was not given, it would never be received. We could not have it. But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He has loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and in sins. He has quickened us together. He has made us alive in Christ Jesus, for by grace we are saved. And that was the message Paul spoke to the Ephesians in that great verse of Scripture, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That is where we stand today. Eternal life is knowing God the Father as your God, and Jesus Christ the Son as your Savior, and the Holy Spirit as your indwelling Comforter. And I ask you today as we close, do you have this knowledge? Do you know the Lord Jesus as your own? Do you know Him 
And do you possess Him? To reject Him is eternal death, but to receive Him is eternal life. And this, my dear friends, is the gift that Christ is praying for and praying about. And I trust the Lord will write His Word upon your heart today. Let's close, please, in prayer. Our meeting is just closed now, and if the Lord has been speaking to your heart, if you do not know Him, then I encourage you to pray where you are just now and ask the Lord to open your heart. Repent of your sin. Call upon Him. He will come. He will save you. He has made that promise. He will not cast you away. And believer, let us come with renewed devotion and thanksgiving and praise. For it is such a humble reality that we who are worthy of hell have been given the gift of heaven and of everlasting life. Father, I pray that this great and monumental truth will be written on our souls. Give us understanding. Lord, we are so weak. We are so limited. But I pray that the peace of God would come to every heart and great understanding to us all, Lord. We, we need the Spirit's direction and help. We hear our prayer now. Part us in your fear with your great blessing. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.